welcome our senior associate, Pastor James Brown. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Man, it's good to be alive. Good to be here tonight. Amen. How many had a great day today? Amen. God is amazing. We love the Lord. All right, so we're in Joshua chapter 8, continuing this series in the book of Joshua, and I'm following up from Pastor's message in Joshua chapter 7 uh, about the sin of Achan and how God had to deal with Achan and his family and killed them and <laughs> dealt with their sin, basically. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about turning defeat into victory. And uh, this message tonight, I'm just going to call it God Changes Things. There was a British, famous British preacher named F.W. Robertson. He delivered a sermon on August 12th, 1849. And in it, he made this statement. He said, life, like war, is a series of mistakes. And he is not the best Christian nor the best general who makes the fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Forget mistakes. Organize victory out of mistakes. Henry Ford, the American automobile manufacturer, created the Model T in 1908, 1908, and he would have agreed with Robertson because he defined a mistake as this, an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. I like that. Even Yoda told Luke Skywalker this, the greatest teacher failure is. He was making a point because Luke had quit teaching after he failed rather than using it as a learning experience to do better. And Joshua understood this too. After the warriors of Israel defeated in battle against the Amorites from the town of Ai, they discovered the reason for their loss. And what was that? They had a sin problem in the camp. After they dealt with their sin problem, and dealing with Achan and his family who had disobeyed the Lord and kept the spoils of war from the battle of Jericho, they were ready for a new beginning, a new strategy, a new victory, and a new commitment. And I want you to just think for a moment tonight as we begin this message, maybe in your life, maybe you have failed. Maybe you failed today. Maybe you failed recently, this past year. But there was a failure in your life. And maybe you haven't really processed that failure yet. And perhaps you might be struggling, struggling a little bit. But tonight God is saying this. I will give you an opportunity to begin again more intelligently, more obediently. God wants you to take those failures and organize them into victories. And he can do that in your life. Do you believe this? Amen. So tonight, let's just pray for a minute and ask the Lord to use this message to help us to think about this and how to turn these failures into victories. Lord, we come to you tonight, and God, we ask that you would just anoint this word. God, we pray, Father, that you would just take this message, Lord, and help us in our heart 
Lord, maybe we have failed recently, and if that's the case, I pray this message would hit home, that it would, Lord, do a work tonight that you intended to do, God, that, Lord, we wouldn't live in that failure, we wouldn't live in that fear and that discouragement, but, God, we'd hear a word from the Lord tonight, and that we would move on to new victories, new beginnings, God. You make all things new. I mean, God, we pray that maybe if it isn't something that we failed at recently, but maybe, God, something you'll help us process about the past, or maybe, God, just preparing us for the future, or maybe even preparing us to minister to someone else with this very word. So, Lord God, we thank you for these things, and we give them to you in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. All right. So in Joshua chapter 8, let's begin looking at verses 1 to 2. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I think it's just a great translation to read out loud and, and uh, to have in a, in a crowd because it's easy to understand. We can process it. But Joshua 8, 1 to 2 says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai, for I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time, you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. All right, my first point tonight is this. God is a God of new beginnings. You believe that? He is a God of new beginnings. Because they dealt with their sin issue, because they dealt with it, the Lord allowed Joshua and the Israelites a second chance to battle the men of Ai. The first time, they got whooped. The first time, they lost. The first time, it was embarrassing. They weren't expecting it. And they lost. They knew something horrible had to be a problem because they lost. They were not expecting that. But this time, God says there's a second chance. Now, this is the secret to spiritual victory. Christ living in you. I want you to know that God has given each one of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have repented of our sins. We have turned from our ways. And we have asked Jesus to come into our life. He has given us a new beginning. Spiritual victory is now ours because of Christ living in us. Ephesians 4, to 24 says this. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, you may have failed in the past, but when you failed, you came to Jesus Christ and you put off the former life, your former way of living, your former way of thinking, and you put on this you put on the new man, the new nature, a renewed spirit of your mind. Your mind was changed. You turned away from your sin and you turned toward God. And you recognized that his way was better than your way and you decided to go in that direction. You become a new person. You are a new self, 
and you were created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Come on, someone say, thank you, Jesus, for what he has done. Only through Christ is this possible. But he is a God of new beginnings. Now, this doesn't mean that you will live a perfect life. Can I get an amen? It doesn't mean you're living a perfect life. But it does mean that the Lord will hold you up when you stumble. Now you have an advocate. Now you have a champion. Now you have a true victor living inside of you that can help you to get up when you stumble. Oh, thanks be to God that we have Jesus Christ in our life. Man, we need him every single day. I mean, we may not have had a big failure today, but I'm sure we had a lot of little failures today. There are things that are going on in our life that we just say, God, why? Why do I do this? God, why am I struggling with this? God, why do I fail at this? And yet Jesus lives inside of us and we can come to the Lord continuously. Lord, okay, I recognize this. God, help me. And he does. He does. Psalm 37, 22 to 24 says this. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. I love that verse. Come on. Let's say it together. He delights in every detail of their lives. If you didn't believe that tonight, I hope you believe it now. All right? He delights in every detail of your life. Amen. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. Come on, someone just reach out a hand tonight. Say, Jesus, I know you're holding my hand. Lord, I know you're holding my hand. Today I tripped. Today I, I rolled an ankle. You know, today I did something. But Lord, you're holding my hand. I can't lose because you have already been victorious on the cross. God, you're there for me. Thank you, Jesus. This is the kind of God we have. Isn't he awesome? Our God is amazing. That's why it's amazing grace. The Lord delights in every detail. He sees you in all your imperfections. There is not one thing truly hidden from God. I want you to know, in case you didn't realize that, you may hide from human beings, but you cannot hide from God. Even your thoughts are not hidden from God. He sees every thought. He sees every emotion. He sees every little thing. Yeah. For some of us, we go, that's embarrassing, you know? Uh, but yet God sees it all. He sees every imperfection, and yet he holds you by your hand. And he cares about those details. Jesus has made a way for you by his death on the cross. He lived the perfect life that you could not live, and he offers you eternal life in exchange for your trust and faith in him alone. It's got to be Jesus and nothing else. Jesus alone. You must trust and have your faith in Christ alone. No matter how many times or how badly you have failed, the Lord's grace is greater than all your sin. You must believe that. It was in 1741, and there was an old man who was wandering the streets of London. His name was George Frederick Handel. At this point, he was angry at life. His mind kept going back to the time when he was famous, and he had the applause of royalty and the elite of London, but now his mind was full of despair and hopelessness about the future, for the applause was gone. 
Others were now in the spotlight, and envy began to possess him. Added to that, a cerebral hemorrhage paralyzed his right side. He could no longer write, and doctors gave little hope for recovery. The old composer traveled to France, and he began to soak in the baths, which were said to have healing effects. The hot mineral baths seemed to help, and his health began to improve. And eventually, he was able to write once more, and his success returned. But then, he faced another reversal. Queen Caroline, who had been his staunch supporter, died. England found itself on hard economic times, and heating large auditoriums for concerts was not permitted. His performances were canceled. He began to wonder where God was. Then one night, as he returned from his walk, Charles Jennings was waiting at his home. Jennings explained that he had just finished writing a text for a musical that covered both the Old and the New Testaments and believed that Handel was the man to set it to music. Handel was indifferent as he began to read the words which Jennings had put together. But then his eyes fell on such words as this. He was despised, rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man. Neither found he any to comfort him. His eyes raced ahead to the words, he trusted in God. God did not leave his soul in hell. He will give you rest. And finally, his eyes stopped on the words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He became aware of the presence of God. He was aware in a new and a profound way. And as he picked up his pen, the Spirit of God was moving. And music seemed to flow through him. He finished the first part in only seven days. The second section was completed in six days. Many will remember that when the classical work was first performed in London and the Hallelujah Chorus was sung by the choir, King George II was so moved that he stood to his feet. To this day, people still rise to their feet as the great chorus is sung in praise to God. In reflecting on Handel's Messiah, Joseph McCabe wrote this, Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far it is to God. A being outside our world would be a spectator, looking on but taking no part in this life, where we try to be brave despite all the bafflement. A God who created and withdrew could be mighty, but he could not be loved. Who could love a God remote when suffering is our lot? Our God is closer than our problems, for they are out there to be faced. He is here beside us. Emmanuel. Wow. Man, that story touched me, and I wanted to share it with you. You see, there are times in your life when you're going to stumble. There are times in your life when you're going to fail. There are times in your life when you should be that strong, at least you feel this, that you should be strong, committed, positive. you got to be, but you're going to find yourself in a place of despondency or depression or hopelessness or wondering where God is. You may even struggle with sin like Handel did, with envy. And wanting to be famous and 
having these sort of selfish feelings on the inside to be recognized. But then God comes along, and he does something. He redeems you. You begin to be completely aware of his presence, and all of a sudden, the presence of God changes your thinking. It changes your attitude. It changes your situation because you begin to repent. You begin to turn away from those things, and you begin to turn to God, and you begin to obey God once again and move toward him. God is a God of new beginnings, and I want to tell you what happens in our new beginnings. You see, what happens in the new beginnings is several things. First of all, God gives us a word of encouragement. What did he tell to Joshua and the Israelite people? He said this in verse 1 of chapter 8. Do not be afraid or discouraged. That's a word of encouragement. After a failure, he's about to turn turn it into victory. And he says to the first thing, do not be afraid or discouraged. Why should we be afraid or discouraged after truly repenting? If you find yourself this way, then your answer is in hearing and believing God's word. You need to hear and believe God's word. He has a word of encouragement for you. You might have failed, but don't stay in your failure. Don't stay down. Reach up. Remember, he's holding your hand. Stand up with the Lord's help. Read and believe God's word. That's what you need to do. Open your Bible concordance. Look for the word fear. Find every instance where the word tells you not to fear and believe those verses. Can you do that? Because I'll tell you what, you will be uplifted. You will be encouraged. If you believe those verses, of which there are many, they're in Genesis, they're in Isaiah, they're in Luke, you will find these verses, fear not, You will find verses that tell you why you should not be afraid. God is on your side. Know this, that when we come to Christ by faith, he does not reject us. He sees our coming as part of the Father's plan and the Father's will. This is the way Jesus sees it. It, He sees you coming. He's not like, oh, here they come again. Yeah, did it again. You know what I mean? You know, he sees it as part of God's will. This is wonderful. The Lord says, yes, come to me. Yes, come to me. You know when I think God gets super sad? It's when we won't come to him. It's when we decide to wallow in the sin and go back to it and just, get, and just say, never mind. I, I'm, I'm worthless. I give up. I can't. I'll never make it. I'm just a failure. And we don't come to God. And we abandon God. That makes him sad. That makes his heart break, but he loves it no matter how many times you stumble when you come to him and say, I'm here, Lord. I'm here. It's me again. Lord, I need you. I need your help. God says, come. He will not reject you. John chapter 6, verse 37 and 38 says this, so those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. So Jesus is speaking and he's saying, those that God has sent will come to me. If you're coming to the Lord, God has his will involved in this. That's the way Jesus sees it. This is the will of God that you would come to Christ and that he would not reject you. We see, repentance is part of God's plan for us. He expects that we will have failures and setbacks, but he wants us 
to repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. That's the will of God. He wants everyone to repent. He doesn't force everyone to repent. He gives us a free will, but that's what He wants. What He doesn't want is for everyone to be destroyed. The Greek word for repentance derives from a verb that means to radically change one's thinking. No wonder the Scripture talks about the renewing of our mind. It's to radically change one's thinking. Repentance refers to an event in which an individual attains a divinely provided new understanding of their behavior and feels compelled to change that behavior and begin a new relationship with God. That's repentance. So, conviction. How many of you have ever felt that? Conviction came in your life. You knew something was wrong. God clarified it to you to say that is a sin. God said that is not acceptable behavior. That is not righteous. That is not holy. That is not of me. And God showed you this. It was divinely given to you that this behavior was not of God. And in your heart, you felt sorry for that. In your heart, you were like, oh, Okay, God, I recognize that. Lord, show me the way to go. And in your heart, you said, God, I repent of it. Lord, I want to walk. I'm going to do a 180. And God, now I'm going to go the way you have said to go. God, what is the right way to live? What is the right way to think? What is the right way to speak? What is the right way to act? Lord, I will do that. That's repentance. God gave it to you. And so you felt compelled to change it, and you put on a new mind. You put on a new thinking. You have a completely different thinking about the subject now. Peter, being a Jew, would have also understood that, and he wrote Second Peter, he would have also understood repentance as including a radical shift in behavior following the act of repentance. For example, in the New Testament, Zacchaeus, remember him? It's one of my favorite New Testament stories because he's a little short guy. That's, I love that story, all right? But Zacchaeus made restitution for the fraud that he committed as part of his occupation, okay? He was cheating people with taxes, all right? He didn't just, I'm sorry, and do nothing about it. No, he went and paid back everybody that he robbed and then some. He did restitution. Paul preaching the faith, Paul preached the faith that he once tried to destroy. Paul's a great example of this. So it's not just that he repented. His whole behavior did a 180. His whole, his whole lifestyle became a repentance because where he was persecuting, now he was, he was preaching. He was, he was promoting Jesus Christ instead of persecuting. Onesimus, the runaway slave, returning to his master Philemon, he came to face the consequences of his actions. So he ran away and then he came back. If we are afraid or discouraged in our relationship with God, after God's conviction and correction, then we have to ask ourselves, have we really repented? Maybe that's what we're really afraid of. Not that God will reject us, but that he will know that we only intend to give him lip service. That we are not truly sorry for what we have done, and we do not ask for the blood of Christ to cover our sins. Because we plan on continuing in that sin. That's the real problem. It's not a problem when God deposited that conviction into your heart and you were truly sorry and said, I'm going to go away from this. 
I intend to. Doesn't mean later you don't stumble or that you don't make a, a, a mistake. But it means, Lord, I truly repent. I'm sorry. I'm going to go the other way. He'll never reject that. So, don't let this be your story. Repent and turn the other way. Receive a word of encouragement from the Lord. You see, God gives us not only a word of encouragement, but a word of instruction. Verse 1, the second half of verse 1 to verse 2, it says this in Joshua 8. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. You see, God always has a word of instruction for his people to follow and obey. How many know that? God is a living. He, he works with us. He has a word of instruction that we must follow. In his first attack on Ai, Joshua followed the advice of his spies, and he used only part of the army. But God told him to take all the people of, the, of war. The Lord also told Joshua to use an ambush and take advantage of Ai's self-confidence stemming from Israel's first defeat. Finally, God gave the soldiers the right to claim the spoils, but they were to burn the city. Had Achan waited only a few days, he could have picked up all the wealth that he wanted. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. When we run ahead of the Lord, we usually rob ourselves and hurt others. Maybe you've run ahead of the Lord. Anybody here want to say, in my life, I've done that. I've run ahead of the God sometimes. Amen. I think we often do that in our life. We run ahead of the Lord. It wasn't the right time, but you paid a price. But that doesn't mean it will never be the right time. Does it mean that God always says no? But God has a perfect timing. Wait for a word of instruction. Perhaps now is the right time. Just be sure to hear from God about it. This is an important teaching, I think, for us as Christians. Because sometimes God says no today, but it doesn't mean no forever. And we didn't understand it then, but it's an instruction and obedience issue. God has a order for things, and he wants us to follow it. Would you put him first and obey him first? If you do... God will bless you. If you run ahead of God and try to force things, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to pay a price, okay? So God always gives those instructions. And then God gives us a word of promise. In, in the last part of verse 1, it says, For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. I love this by D.L. Moody. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. He never made a promise that was too good to be true. So don't ever look at the word of God and go, that's just too good to be true, because it's not. Whatever he promised, it is true. There is no weapon or enemy who can defeat you if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You will be victorious over the enemy, his demons, his strongholds, and this world, which is his domain. Do you see that? I like that, because in the verse he said, that I have given you the king, his people, his town, and his land. Did you hear me? With Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your victor, you will be victorious over the enemy, Satan, his demons, his strongholds, and this world. You have all of that. 
just like God promised Joshua and the people of Israel. 1 John 5, 4 to 5 says this, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Man, when I hear that, I go, okay, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. And if I believe that, according to this verse, then I will have victory and defeat the evil in this world. My faith helps me to achieve that victory. So put your faith in God. This is God's promise to every child of God. Claim it for yourself now by reaffirming your belief and faith in Jesus. All right, God is also a God of new strategies. You see, in Joshua chapter 8, verses 4 to 13, says this. So Joshua and all the fighting men set out to attack Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors and sent them out at night with these orders. Hide in ambush close behind the town and be ready for action. When our main army attacks, the men of Ai will come out to fight as they did before, and we will run away from them. Huh? We will let them chase us until we have drawn them away from the town. For they will say, the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. And then while we are running from them, you will jump up from your ambush and take possession of the town. For the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire as the Lord has commanded. You have your orders. So they left and went to the place of ambush between Bethel and the west side of Ai. But Joshua remained among the people in the camp that night. Early the next morning, Joshua roused his men and started toward Ai, accompanied by the elders of Israel. All the fighting men who were with Joshua marched in front of the town and camped on the north side of Ai with a valley between them and the town. That night, Joshua sent about 5,000 men to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of town. So they stationed the main army north of the town and they ambushed west of the town. Joshua himself spent that night in the valley. You see, God often changes his leaders lest we start trusting flesh and blood instead of trusting the Lord. And he often changes his methods lest we start depending on our personal experience instead of on his divine promises. That's something to chew on. God changes things so that we learn to trust him and him alone. I would also add this from our text. Sometimes God changes up his strategies so that the enemy does not predict his moves. This is a point that we often overlook in our lives. If we spend too much time questioning God and asking him why he's messing up our routines and comfort zones, then we might miss the fact that our God is at war with the enemy of our soul. God may ask you to change something. Change your routine. Change your comfort zone. Draw you out into something new. Something you said, I can't do that. No, if the Lord says you can, you can. But God may be changing something up in your life or your family just because he's at war with the enemy of your soul. When our life becomes routine, we tend to fall asleep. This is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray with their eyes wide open. Especially spiritually. They were to be alert and watch while praying. Keep watch and pray 
Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. In other words, we may feel spiritually strong and invincible, but we are also confined to our bodies, which are much weaker and can cause us to let down our guard. Anybody ever struggle with that? You understand that? Your mind is willing, right? Your spirit is like, yeah, I get that. But your body is like, "Uh uh-uh. Your body seems like talks as well, like it's got a mind of its own or something. Okay? And we see that. How many dumb decisions have you ever made because you were tired, hungry, hurting, or stressed? Luis got a PhD in psychology. You understand this. We tend to do things when physically we're not tip-top. When physically we have been stressed. Physically there are things going on. And sometimes that just affects our decisions because of the emotional impact that it has in our life. A willing spirit is not enough. It must be supplemented by prevailing prayer. This is the message of Jesus. It isn't just be willing in spirit, be willing in spirit. I get it, your body's weak, but just be willing. No, Jesus said, watch and pray. That was his solution. It wasn't just get your spirit willing enough and you'll do it. It was watch and pray. Keep your eyes open, you guys. Watch and pray. Now, when I was a teenager, I found this very practical because I struggled with prayer and I struggled with staying awake while praying. Anybody with me? I mean, we used to spend some time at the altar and I used to like, you know, down there and we're like 20 minutes and I, I don't want anybody to know I'm sleeping. I feel like the disciples in the garden. But then someone said, pray with your eyes open. Pray out loud. Speak it. And that helped. That really helped the concentration. That helped to be focused on God and helped me more alert spiritually as to what was going on in my life. So I want you to, I want you to know, and by the way, when Jesus said watch and pray, I did a Greek study because I wanted to know, what does that word watch mean? Well, it literally means keep your eyes open. That's what it means. There, there's no other translation there in the Greek. It literally meant keep your eyes open, you guys. Don't fall asleep. Keep your eyes open when you pray. And so sometimes we need to pray. Joshua heard from God. There were so many things different about the attack on Ai from the attack on Jericho. In fact, the strategy that God gave Joshua for taking Ai was almost opposite the strategy that he used at Jericho. The Jericho operation involved a week of marches that were carried on carried on openly in the daylight. The attack on Ai involved a covert night operation that prepared the way for the daylight assault. The whole army was united at Jericho, but Joshua divided the army for the attack at Ai. God performed a mighty miracle at Jericho when he caused the walls to fall down flat, but there was no such miracle at Ai. Joshua and his men simply obeyed God's instructions by setting an ambush and luring the people of Ai out of their city, and the Lord gave them the victory. These two victories were completely different. God's plan was completely different. Get ready, church, because God's going to do something different. He's going to make some changes that aren't going to feel comfortable or familiar, but his changes are for a reason. He's at war with the enemy of your soul. God wants you to trust in him alone. The American business leader Bruce Barton, who lived between 1886 and 1967, said this, When you're through changing, you're through. That hit me. When you're through changing, you're through. 
God always organizes victory out of defeat. The strategy God gave Joshua was based on their previous defeat. God knew the enemy would be overconfident. So he gave him the plan. I want to close with this. Our English word strategy comes from two Greek words that together mean to lead an army. That word strategy is from two Greek words. It means to lead an army. Leadership demands planning, and planning is an important part of strategy. So the next time you fail, remember that God is planning. God has a strategy. God is organizing and a victory out of your failure. After repenting, receive a word of encouragement from the Lord. Receive a new strategy from the Lord as you pray and as you plan. God wants to give you this victory. Next week, we're going to look at what new victories and new commitments look like that follow our failures. Tonight, would you bow your head?